chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. It's on page 1014, and we're going to read uh, verses 1 to 12. We've been working our way through Mark's gospel. If this is your first time at Globe Church, you kind of joined us in chapter 10. Um, but don't panic about that because it's going to be it's going to be fine. Although at first sight, this might sound slightly odd, difficult, hard. We'll see. But let, let's let's read it, and then we're going to pray that God would help us to understand. So let's read. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you, he replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Let's pray together. Let's ask that God would help us to understand what Jesus is teaching in these words. Let's pray. Father, we pray that now, right now, by your spirit, you take these words of Jesus, inspired by your spirit, and that you would now help us to listen, help us to understand whether we've been a Christian for ages or not, for long or not at all. Father, we ask that these words of Jesus would cut to our hearts, and we ask it in his name. Amen. Now, I guess, having read uh, Mark chapter 10, you may be expecting a talk on divorce and remarriage. You may be expecting a talk on adultery and marriage and what the Bible says about marriage. Let me tell you, that is not what this is about. That's what it, at, at first sight, that's what is going on. But I want to set it in its context. And I want to show you that what's going on here, because you may be sitting again, well, I'm not, I'm not married, or perhaps I am married, or, you know, we've got all sorts of different experiences in this room. This is relevant to all of us. And that's what I'm going to try and show you. Uh, so keep your finger in Mark 10. I want you to go back to Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Right, Mark chapter 1. Really important to remember where Mark starts. What does Mark think he's doing as he writes his gospel? Here's his first sentence. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. So Mark is very clear. He thinks he's writing good news, okay? Which means that when Mark wrote this bit of his gospel, he thinks this is good news. And he thinks this is the good news about Jesus. Otherwise, he would have left it out. Jesus, Mark is writing the good news about Jesus. This must be about the good news of Jesus. That's what I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you that if we can understand what is going on here, it will take us to the very heart of what Jesus is all about. That's what this passage is about. So remember how Mark starts his gospel. Also remember, or if you don't, haven't been here, for the, this is your first time here, then don't remember this. Uh, learn it for the first time. 
In this chunk of Mark, from Mark chapter 8, verse 31, through to the end of Mark chapter 10, three times Jesus says he's going to die and rise again. Suffer, die, and rise. Die and rise. Three times. And this section of Mark's gospel is built around those two facts. (laughs) Those two facts. Death and resurrection of Jesus. So this is good news, and it must be somehow connected to the death and resurrection of Jesus. Right, keep all that in mind. And now I'm going to tell you the big point of this talk. This is the big point. If you're taking notes, there's plenty of pens around. There's a bit of space on the back of the sheets. If you're taking notes, this is the big point. You only need a cage if the lion wants to eat you. That is the big point of Mark chapter 10. That's what I'm going to try and show you. Now, if you're confused, don't worry, because I think most people are, and we're going to put that on a shelf. We'll come back to the lion later on. But let's get into this story and keep that big idea in mind. You only need a cage if the lion wants to eat you. Right, have a look down at the passage. Mark chapter 10, verse 1. Here's Jesus. He's on his journeys. He's on his travels. He's heading for Jerusalem. He's heading to the place where he's going to suffer and die and then rise again. He's moving, moving all the time. And crowds are coming to him. He's teaching them all the time. He's teaching them. But now look at verse 2. Some Pharisees came and tested him. You see, here they come with their question. Now, It's pretty clear what their motives are. They're not coming with an honest inquiry. They're coming because they want to try and trap Jesus, to catch him out in what he says. And this is is their tactic. They want to try and drive a wedge between Moses and Jesus. They want to try and get Jesus to contradict Moses, because if they can get Jesus to contradict Moses, then they've got him. They They can accuse him. They can kill him for blasphemy, for contradicting Moses. So that's what they're trying to do. They want to drive a wedge between Jesus and Moses. And they choose to have a go on the issue of marriage. That's their kind of line of attack. That's the one they choose to go on. Okay, Jesus, we're going to go on marriage, and I'm going to see if I can get you to contradict what Moses says. (laughs) But they get so much more than they ever bargained for. It's as if, right, what we're going to see is this. Yes, there is a difference between Moses and Jesus. There is a massive difference between Moses and Jesus. And understanding that difference is what will take you to the heart of the gospel of Jesus. If you can understand the difference between Moses and Jesus, then you will understand why he came. Now, let me just uh, clear some stuff up. For those who aren't sure, I realize that not all of us are familiar with the Bible. That's cool. It, this is a place where we want people to come and ask questions. And Moses was a guy who lived a couple of thousand years before Jesus. And it was through Moses that God gave his people the law. So the Ten Commandments, Moses went up on a mountain. The law was given. Through Moses, the law came. And we need to understand the difference between Moses and Jesus. I've got one point about Moses, that's verses 1 to 5. I've got one point about Jesus, that's verses 6 to 12. Okay, that's where we're going. Here's the point about Moses. Moses is all about damage limitation. That's how Moses, that's how the law operates. Damage 
limitation. So look, let's, let's look into it. So here they come with their question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? So their question is about the law. Is it lawful? What do you reckon? What do you reckon? What does Jesus do? Well, he points them back to Moses. He refers the question to Moses. Oh, you're asking about the law. Oh, you need to talk to Mr. Law. That's Moses. What did Moses say? He's the one who went up Mount Sinai. He's the one who met with God. He's the one who received the law. He's the one who wrote it down. Go ask Moses. What does Moses say? Now, they know the law. They're experts in the law. So quick as a flash, they know the answer. This is what the law says. Verse 4, they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. That's in Deuteronomy 24. They know their stuff. They know the law. They've done their homework. Moses seemed to give permission. There seemed to be situations where divorce was permissible. It was pretty black and white for them. And they are sort of right. That is what was lawful. Jesus doesn't disagree and say, no, no, you've got it wrong. But Jesus isn't finished with them. And verse 5 would have come like a punch in the stomach to these teachers of the law. Just listen to this. Jesus says to them, this is earth shattering. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. Can you think? Just think, think, think. Don't just sit there passively. Think. You've got to think. You've got to engage with what, we, what we're reading. What is Jesus saying? It was because your hearts were hard that Moses gave you this law. Moses knew that there was a problem with the human heart. And so the law that Moses gave was about damage limitation. It was trying to restrict the damage of the hardness of the human heart. Look, okay, when I was at sixth form, which was a while ago, and uh, at sixth form, I don't know what it was like in your sixth form, there seemed to be quite a lot of people in the sixth form who wanted to smoke. Smoking was cool. This was back in the day when, you know, Smoking wasn't out of fashion, although probably still, I don't even know what's in fashion now. <laughs> don't know why I'm trying. Anyway, let's go back to my sick form. Sick form, I'm confident on that. Like back in the old day, when I was at sick form, uh, there was a load of people who wanted to smoke. Now, my sick form, the principal of my sick form, didn't want us to smoke. But it was interesting because what they did was they gave one little area. It was on the steps outside the common room. One little area, which was the smoking area. Okay. Now, why did they do that? Supposing someone had come along and gone to the principal, boy, why do you encourage your young people to smoke? Why are you trying to push them to smoke? He said, no, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm trying to limit the damage that their smoking will do. You see, that is on the basis that these guys are going to smoke anyway. I'm going to try and limit it. Damage limitation. And that's the point that seems to be going on with with the law. God gave the law because there was something profoundly wrong in the human heart. Do you see it? Jesus says it was because your hearts were hard. There's a hardness about the human heart. That is Jesus' diagnosis. Now look, when we talk about the heart, we're not talking about the pumping blood thing. We're talking about the very center of our being. 
the things you think and feel and desire and choose, all of that stuff, the control center of who you are, there's a problem there. You've seen the film Inside Out. <laughs> Lucky you. Uh, they get it slightly wrong because they put it in the brain. Actually, call it biblic, biblical thinking is that it's the heart, the control center of who you are. That's where our problem lies. It doesn't lie in anger or divorce or lust or whatever. It lies in the heart. Jesus has already made that clear. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus says, it is from within, out of the heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, adultery, murder, comes from the heart. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. There is a real problem in the heart. We have set our hearts on wrong desires. Have you ever, have you ever used concrete? Have you ever built anything with concrete? Because concrete works like this. Okay? I thought when I made something with concrete that I would get some quick drying concrete because that seemed to me to be, I'm an impatient sort of chap. So I made my concrete in the thing and it was all sloppy and lovely. And it was kind of like sloppy. And, uh, and then I went to dig my hole, which I was going to put my concrete in. And I came back to my concrete. And it's not sloppy anymore. <laughs> it's taken on the shape of a bucket. I have a bucket-shaped lump of concrete. And that's the problem, right? The human heart has set on desires that are wrong. We've set our hearts on things that are not right. Our hearts do not desire what God desires. And those desires are strong and they lead to enormous damage. Now look, I, I get that we might be offended. If you're here for the first time, you might say, well, who does this bloke think he is? Telling me there's something wrong in my heart. But it's not me telling you that, it's Jesus saying that. And actually, I guess most of us kind of aware that there's a problem. We tend to locate the problem out of, outside of ourselves, though, don't we? We tend to point at our circumstances or excuses or I was provoked or w- whatever it might be. But no, Jesus says, the real problem is inside. The real problem is in our hearts. Our hearts are hard. Our hearts are set on wrong desires. Right, okay, let's go back to the line. See if you can work it out, right? You probably already worked it out. You only need a cage if the lion wants to eat you. Why do zoos put cages around lions? Because the lion heart is set on eating children. That's what lions do. I I went to Edinburgh Zoo once. It was... Terrific. There was a, it wasn't a lion, actually. It was a snow leopard, but it'll make the same point. And it was right there, and it was crouching right down, and I was stood here at the glass, and it pounced right up at the glass. Bang! Like that on the glass. And the first time, I, <laughs> I ran off. <laughs> but then I came back, and it kept doing it, and it was like, and it was quite an awesome sense. This thing just wants to eat me. It actually, if this glass wasn't here, I would be dead. It wants to eat me. 
And so what do zoos do? Zoos operate a damage limitation system. Eating people who come to the zoo isn't good publicity. Therefore, we'll make a cage. And that means that this killing, destroying heart of a lion is confined to this area. It's limited. Any birdie flies in there, well. And now look, that is how the law works. The law is a cage. It works on the basis that the human heart has desires that were wrong. and, And I desire things that are wrong. And so God gives the law to put a cage to restrain, to limit the damage that my human heart will do. Now look, this this is how all law works. You've you've got to understand this. Right, 20 mile an hour speed limits. Who loves, who here is excited about it? You come across a 20 mile per hour speed limit sign, you go, oh, super, 20 miles an hour, love it. It makes me laugh in London, right? Because we love looking for the big cars, like the supercars in London, right? You get these really big, powerful cars. And they're driving along at 20 miles an hour. And you can, it's so frustrating. Why do you need a 20 mile an hour speed limit sign? Because the human heart wants to drive the supercar at 100 miles an hour. And so something is needed, a cage is needed to limit the damage, right? That's how it works. And that is why laws and rules are so frustrating to us. You only need laws to govern the things that the human heart wants to do. So when I go to the zoo, the goats aren't in a cage. Why? Because the goaty heart isn't set on eating me. It'll eat my cake, but it won't eat me. You know, the goatee doesn't need a cage because its heart isn't set on killing. So here is Jesus' point. I hope you're getting this. Have you not just completely bemused by my lions and goats and things? Here is the point. The human heart is hard. It is set on wrong desires. And that is true in this area of marriage. And because the human heart is hard... Divorce is kind of inevitable in our world because of the hardness of the human heart. And so Moses gives this law to restrict and to protect and to limit the damage that divorce can do. It was actually largely to protect in that culture of Moses' day, it was to protect the wife who could be treated horrendously by their husband. God says, no, 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 no. I'm going to put things in place to protect, to limit the damage that this hardness will do. And God's law works like that in loads of things. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. You heard that? Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. What's that about? It's about limiting damage. If Phil comes and takes one of my eyes, which would be slightly odd in this context, if Phil comes, my natural heart is for revenge. I just want to go take one of his legs. But God says, no, I'm going to limit the damage. The human heart wants revenge. I'm going to limit. I'm going to limit it. You only take an eye. Got it? That's how it works. It's all about 
limiting the damage that the human heart can bring. So Moses, damage limitation. Now, the problem with life under Moses is it will either lead to frustration. So if you go and look at lions in the zoo, what are they like? Most of them are pretty miserable, as far as I can see. They just walk round and round in circles, doing their little... They've lost all kind of... Rah! They've lost all that. They don't do that anymore. What's the point? What's the point anymore? They just pad around, and they're sad, and they're frustrated. That's how some people live. That's how, that's how people view religion. Oh, just fine, okay, I'll keep the rules. This is all very sad. I can't do the things I want to do. It's boring. Either it leads to frustration, or it leads to rebellion. And pushing the boundaries and looking for loopholes. And the lion is kind of getting a big fishing rod and fishing for children. I'm still in my cage. I'm still in my cage. Oh, I caught one. I didn't leave my cage. It's okay because you said I couldn't leave my cage. I haven't left my cage. I've got myself a child though. And there's a rebellion in the human heart that will push against the rules of God. <laughs> now we live in a culture that has moved from being sad and repressed to being rebellious. You go back 100 years and everyone just went around going, oh, can't do that, can't do that, can't do that. Probably were doing it, but can't do it anyway, can't do it. We live in a culture now that says, forget it, forget God's rules, forget the laws. You can get an app on your phone now that tells you when there's someone else who's nearby who wants to hook up for a sexual encounter. Purely Physical, no emotional thing. You can get an app that does that now. And this is what life under Moses will lead to. Moses gave you this command because your hearts were hard. But look, Jesus isn't done. We need to get this, right? Here's the second point. Here's the big thing, right? This is the more important bit. Moses is about damage limitation. Jesus is about damage restoration. Look at verse 6. Look at how verse 6 starts. You've got got to feel this, all right? I'm going to go from verse 5. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But, verse 6, at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Can't you you feel the hope, right? It's as if Jesus says, look, Moses, Moses was limiting the damage of the human heart, but I want to go back further. I want to go back to the beginning. Can't we talk about God's original design? Can't we talk about God's original ambition for humanity? God's dream for humanity? God's purpose? God's design? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about the beauty of what God made. With the coming of Jesus, there is the dawn of a very real and new hope. Not the frustration of the law, but actually driving back beyond the law, past, past the law, back to the very beginning back to what God originally designed. God's good design for marriage. One man, one woman being joined together by God. It's as if Jesus paints this picture in bright, vibrant colors. He says, look at the beginning. That's how it was. Before sin entered the world, before things got screwed up, before the human heart set, when the human heart was still soft and runny, Back then, there was this beautiful design that God embedded into the fabric of his creation. God is passionately committed to marriage. It was his design. It was his plan. When he saw the man and the man was on his own, he said, that's not good. 
It's not good for man to be alone. So he caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And then he, he made a hole. Get this right. He made a hole in the side of the man. Have you ever imagined how much blood there must have been? We kind of, I don't know if you've ever even thought about this. If you know the story, that's how God, that's what God did. He made a hole in the side of man and then he took a rib out. I think I've always pitched that as a fairly, oh look, I'll take a rib. Thank you very much. If I tried to get one of your ribs out, that's going to cause a lot of mess, a lot of blood. And then he closed up the place with flesh. And then from that rib, he created the woman. And this is the beauty. God made male and female. And he made them. Out of the one, he made two. But that wasn't the end. Because the two then in God's great plan become one. As they're united in sexual union. That was his intention. This is God's best. This is God's design. Look, this is not an old-fashioned, repressed view of sex. Oh, you Christians, you're so old-fashioned. Rubbish. This isn't an old-fashioned repression. This is the highest view of sex you will ever find. This is the best sex you will ever imagine. That as two people make love, they are being joined together by God. It's a sacred and a holy thing. Jesus says, let's talk about that. Back when I was a kid, there was a song that went, let's talk about sex, baby. Do you remember this song? You're so young, all of you are so young. It's as if Jesus says, let's talk about sex. Let's talk about sex as it's meant to be. Within marriage, the beauty of this, it's God's ideal, it's God's dream. Let's imagine a world like that, Jesus says. Isn't that different? And not, let's push that, not just in the area of sex. Let's imagine that in every area. If the human heart, rather than being set hard on things that are wrong, wanted what was right. Imagine if every human heart desired what was right. Imagine what the world would be like. That's pretty beautiful, isn't it? And you might say, oh, here's a dreamer. Here's Jesus with his high ideals, but he's not just a dreamer. There have been plenty of those over the years. Plenty of people who've come and said, oh, let's make the world a better place. Jesus is different. The very reason that Jesus came was to restore that original beauty, the original purpose and design of God to restore that to a broken world. Jesus isn't interested in damage limitation. He's interested in healing the damage. Restoring what is damaged. You see, Jesus has the power to take the hard human heart and to remake it. There is no way once my concrete is set to get it runny again. But there is a way to get the human hard heart Soft again. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to change our hearts. Having our hearts reset upon the things that God desires. You know, there is no other religion. There is no other philosophy. There is no other worldview that comes anywhere close to this. That actually our hearts, our desires can be changed. 
you know, through the pages of Mark's gospel, you see that Jesus has the power to restore. There's a great story back in Mark chapter 3. There's a man who comes, who's in the, temp, in the synagogue, and he's got a withered hand. I don't, I don't, I don't know what it looked like, but a, a withered hand, right? And again, the Pharisees are there trying to test him and trick him. But Jesus says to this man, stretch out your hand. And this is what it says in Mark 3. He stretched out his hand and it was completely restored. And Jesus says to you this afternoon, give me your heart and I will completely restore it. That's what Jesus came to do. He's not talking about putting a little cage around you. He doesn't come to smack some more laws on you. That's to live under Moses. No, life under Jesus is so different. Jesus is able to do what Moses and the law could never do. But why? How can he do it? Would you remember what runs through this section? His death and resurrection. That is why Jesus can do what Moses cannot You see, Jesus was laid in the sleep of death. And a hole was punched in his side. And from his side, blood flowed out. And as that blood flowed, there's the forgiveness of the world. There's the hope of the world. Just as from the side of Adam, the woman was born, from the side of Jesus, his people are born. Forgiveness comes. Restoration comes. Here is the good news. This is the gospel that we believe. This is what we have staked our lives upon. That Jesus came to die. His death matters. And his death pays the penalty that we deserve for our hard hearts. My sin is placed on him. All the evil that lurks in my heart is placed upon him. So much so that he becomes sin. All the things I've done. He had no sin of his own, but he took all of mine. And the blood flowed from his hands and his feet and his side. That blood is the hope of the world. But it's not just his death. It's not just that Jesus died. He didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose again. And in his resurrection is the hope of real change. Jesus forgives my sin and he changes my heart. Look, imagine you could change a lion's heart. Imagine you could, imagine you had the power so that the lion loved children. You wouldn't need a cage anymore. You wouldn't need a cage. Because his desires have changed. And that is what Jesus came to do. He came to change our hearts. He came to wash us, to forgive us, to soften our hearts, and then he came to give us the power to change. And that's why at the very end of our section, look at this. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. 
Now, at first sight, you might say, well, that's a bit weird because Jesus sounds stricter than Moses. That's stricter, right? That's a higher standard. Moses said there were some occasions when divorce was okay, but Jesus seems to just say no. Why? Well, because Moses was operating with a system of hard hearts. Jesus is operating with a system of changed hearts. And he says, I will change your heart. I will change your desire. Moses, it was, what can I get away with? What can I get away with? How far can I go? Jesus, it's, what's the best? What's the best I can do? There's such a difference between Jesus and Moses. So let me try and land this, okay? We've been circling around. Let me try and land this as we finish, okay? Let me speak first of all to those of you who aren't married. And I want to say to you, as clearly as I can, that when you come to Jesus and he changes your heart, he then gives you a new new ideal, a new dream, a new ambition to pursue. And I want to say to you, will you pursue this ambition? And some of you might say, but I don't want to. I don't want to live like that. I don't want to live in this kind of marriage thing that culture is so demanding. I don't want that. If, if you feel like that, and marriage isn't for everyone, we're not all going to end up married. Jesus is very clear that there are some. Jesus himself wasn't married. You don't have to get married to be a complete human being. But for those of us who are pursuing, thinking about marriage, I'm saying, will you pursue it like this? Will you pursue it saying, as I enter marriage, there is no way that I will ever divorce. Divorce is not an option because of the beauty of what God has done. If you're not married, will you make that your ambition for marriage? Will you hold marriage in such high honor that rather than sleep around and just do whatever you want with your body and Oh, it's my body anyway, so I'll do whatever I want. No, will you listen to Jesus? And, and when you find that your heart says, I don't want that, then rather than going, fine, I'll do it anyway, and being a sad little lion padding around going, I'm so frustrated and sad. Instead, will you come to Jesus and say, Jesus, please change my heart. Help me to love what you love. Help me to desire what you desire. There's a battle going on. Our hearts are still in the process of being changed. Will you ask him to change you? If you are married, will you pursue this? Will you ask Jesus on the days when you think, oh, it should be easier if I was single? Will you ask him to pursue, to change your heart? But I also want to say that there'll be many people here who are pretty bruised and battered by the reality of the hardness of human hearts. Some of us have sinned in this area. We've blown it in this area. This area of sex and relationships and marriage, I know that. We've blown it. We've messed up big time. Maybe just in our thinking or maybe in in practice. Some of us have been sinned against. People have treated us wrongly. People have treated us harshly. Well, I want, you, I, I want you to know that Jesus comes to restore. He comes to restore what is broken. He comes to give new hope and new life. 
He forgives you. He forgives you. We come to him and he will forgive you of anything that you've done. That's why he died. That's why the blood flowed out of his side, so that he could forgive you, so that he could take, take that away, the guilt and the shame of that. And so that he could change you to have desires that are right, desires that are for him, not against him. And actually, look, this is, just as we finish again, I know I've been going on a little bit, but this is so important for us to understand. This actually applies to how you fight sin in every area. I wake up and I think, I don't, I don't, I don't know, I I, I want to do something naughty. (laughs) I want to do something bad. I want to, you know, I lose my temper. I get angry. I, I, whatever it is, we so naturally, we fight sin by going, but I mustn't, I mustn't, I mustn't. No, ask Jesus to change your desire. Because if you, if, as Jesus changes your desire, then it becomes a joy to obey him. Then it becomes a joy. And so here is Jesus. Life under Moses is frustrating and about damage limitation. Life under Jesus is beautiful. Freedom. Restoration. And so we're going to pray together and we're going to ask that God would help us. Um, to know this Jesus, to experience this change in our hearts. So we're going to pray, and um, as we pray, I'm going to ask, um, I guess all of us have got areas where we think, this is the area where I really struggle to do what Jesus wants me to do. It may be in this area of sex and marriage and relationships and all that. It may be in that, or it may be in another area. What is it that you find it hard to do what Jesus wants you to do? Take that thing, and then we're going to ask that Jesus would change our desires so that we want what he wants. You've got to admit that would be cool. (laughs) And one day, he'll do it perfectly. And one day when he returns, all of our desires will be for what he wants. So why don't we pray together? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... We thank you so much that your word is honest about the reality of our own hearts. But thank you that it's not bleak and depressing and frustrating, but there's such joy, there's such hope here. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came to restore what is broken. And we ask that we wouldn't live our lives in a cage where we're frustrated by your law, but that we would find freedom in Jesus. And know him changing our desires so that we can live your way with hearts that are soft towards you. Oh, Father, please change our hearts, we pray, for the glory of Jesus. Amen. We're going to sing together um, in response. And as we sing, we're going to... um,